Carrie Kind, and I'm the editor of In the Moment, the personal narrative section of academic pediatrics. In this forum, we share your stories, your experiences with patients or experiences being a patient, the influence of mentors, the impact of policy and societal events, and the relationship of the author's work in pediatrics to their lives and the lives of others. These narratives allow the reader, or here the listener, to make connections to larger themes through the story itself. I heard your voice. I met her over a year ago and spent a single hour with her in the exam room for her children's checkups. She had lost her home and her support system, in first a natural disaster and then a pandemic, and finally a mental health crisis. I don't know what all this mother has seen in her years, but the hour we spent together was enough for me to surmise that life has not been easy for her. The kids are good, smart kids who are well-groomed and say yes, ma'am, and love their mom and tenderly take care of their special needs sister. She says they are doing a homeschool curriculum. I wonder how it is going, but I can't take that into the wheelbarrow in which I'm collecting her needs or it will overflow. I remember being taught in my med school psychiatry rotation over 20 years ago that the way I feel in a patient room can point me toward the diagnosis I seek. A patient that makes me feel dysthymic or manic or anxious or depressed is likely feeling that way herself. In this exam room, in my busy pediatric clinic, I felt overwhelmed by a tsunami of need. She and her kids on boogie boards coming at me on a wave I could not dodge. I just stood on the sand in exam room one and listened to her and clicked away to try to help where I could, knowing the other patients were growing restless in exam rooms two, three, and four, and that more were gathering in the waiting room. I tried to send referrals and consults and prescriptions and provide resources for mental health and food insecurity and suicidality. Every screen had a positive answer and the risk factors piled up. After she left that first visit, I thought I might never see them again, but she did come back for a second visit, 18 months later, bringing her children for their annual checkups. This time, she told me they need transportation and a new place to live. They need a support system that I don't know how to provide. They have had a lifetime of hardship, such a deep hole to climb out of, and all I had was 30 minutes budgeted to fix it for them. At the second visit, I told the kids they better never let anyone tell them they're not intelligent, make good grades and prove themselves worthy of education and pride, show anyone who looks down their noses at them that they deserve a place in the world. Their mom added, they are smart and want careers, not just jobs. Not like me, she said. I told them they better chase their dreams to be an engineer and a lawyer, and also study and wear a condom and don't get bogged down in any substance abuse. Try to eat healthy and exercise and sleep and dream and never give up. I tried at both visits to make an impact, but you never know if you're reaching people. I'm never sure if some people trust me, speaking from my life of relative privilege, safe place to live, 
refrigerator full of groceries, two cars in the driveway. She told me she did make progress with her children this year. The kids are now in school and have a mental health care team. There are still needs for the child with developmental delay, though, and the plumbing doesn't work at the house. No one will fix it, and there are mice, and she's pretty sure there's mold and really just wants a safe place to live. She just wants to feel safe. It's so hard, she said, showing me photos of her house on her phone. But every time I went somewhere in the past year, I heard your voice telling me I got to do this for my kids. That sentence stopped me in my tracks. She kept talking, and her mouth was moving, but I heard nothing else. My heart stopped as I realized that my one-hour interaction a year and a half ago had mattered. She had heard my voice. She remembered what I had said. Through the figurative wall between us and every other obstacle she faced, she heard my voice. She heard me because I had heard her too. And so, in a healthcare system that feels more and more impersonal as the years go by, as people are leaving and retiring early and choosing different careers, as electronic medical records keep us connected to work in perpetuity, each new result and message and prior authorization and insurance denial, like the tick-tock, tick-tock of a clock that will tick and talk until eternity, I needed this pause. I needed to know that she heard my voice. I needed this affirmation that what we do as physicians matters. I needed to know that even though I cannot fix every problem a patient brings me, I can listen and I can be present. In a 10 to 12 hour day where I say the same things over and over again, sometimes an interaction hits more deeply. Every now and then, Someone might hear my voice. Identifying details in this piece have been modified to protect the patient's privacy. Thank you. Thank you to our authors for sharing. A note to listeners that In the Moment publishes narratives where either patient or family permission has been obtained or with a notation that minor details have been modified to aid in protecting patient privacy. Thank you for listening.